The Bible reading today is John 17, verses 20 to 26. It is on page 878 of the Church Bibles. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in the order that the love you have for me may be in them and that my, I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. I expect a similar amount of applause. <laughs> uh, no, wait till the end. See how I go first. Um, that's... Amy's wanted for a while to be part of the Bible reading roster, and so, yeah. Anyone else with kids, uh, or yourself, whoever, whatever age you are, like, yeah, we want to get people from all different sort of ages involved uh, and serving. And so whether it's greeting or reading or making coffee, we'd love to have you on board. So, um, yeah, uh, put your hand up, come have a chat with us if you want to get involved uh, in any sort of ways like that. Uh, you'll be excited to see Whiteboard up here tonight. Um, uh, Tick Boy will be very excited about it. Yep. Cool. All right, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a look at um, God's Word. Uh, God, we thank you that uh, you've been so gracious as to reveal yourself to us uh, through the Spirit indwelling us uh, that was given to us through Jesus, uh, and that is revealed to us in your Word. And so as we read it tonight, help us to make sense of it. Help us to draw closer to you. And help us to, as Jesus prays in this prayer, to come to complete unity. Amen. As Katie mentioned before, this is Jesus praying for us, right? Uh, The night before he died, Jesus is praying. Last week he was praying for his disciples, the 12 or the 11. uh, But this week he sort of expands it and prays for all believers, every believer that is to come. And it's a pretty cool thought that Jesus, the night before he died, he probably had lots of things on his mind. But he took time to pray for for you, for us, NBC. And in fact, what Jesus did that night uh, in the garden is something that he continues to do to this day. The Bible makes it clear that now Jesus resurrected and ascended in heaven, uh, sits at the the right hand of God and intercedes on our behalf. So what Jesus is doing here, he continues to do, day and night, praying for us. Uh, And we're we're blessed enough to catch a glimpse of what Jesus is praying for us, right? And just think of all the things he could have prayed for us. It could have been our health. It could have been that we'd enjoy favour with the world. It could have been that we'd always meet budgets or that, uh, yeah, we'd have a... Yeah, heaps of different ideas. 
But he spends time praying that we be united, that we would be one. That's his prayer for us. That's his prayer for you and me uh, as a church, not just here at NBC, but the church around the world. And it's sort of like he knows what he's talking about, right? Uh, unity, unity is a big issue. Uh, if you look at the Bible, you see right from the beginning, God has made everything in perfect unity, right? Human beings in unity with one another, human beings in unity with the world around them, human beings in unity with God, and then bang, it falls apart. And then the rest of the Bible is just the repercussions of that as families are broken, communities are broken, nations are broken, uh, until the Son of God himself is broken uh, to restore that. But even just general history, not just the Bible, we look at a I was listening to a podcast called Hardcore History. It's like they're four-hour episodes. I wouldn't recommend it unless you've got heaps of spare time. Uh, but, but as I was listening to them, I'm like, all this is is just talking about wars. And then the more you think about it, you think, well, actually, the history of humankind is just history of conflicts and battles and wars. It's what we do best, right? We like to fight. We like to argue. We like to kill each other. Uh, we like to define ourselves. Uh, by who we aren't sometimes as opposed to who we are. And so Jesus, the night before he dies, his prayer for you and me is that we would be countercultural. We would have something different. We would stand out. Uh, we would have some sort of spiritual uh, renewal that would enable us to be united. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, and so I'm going to ask a few basic questions, and they're, they're written here on your outline, as Katie pointed out before. But the first one is this, what does he pray? What's Jesus praying? Have a look at verse 21. A, if you've seen A there, it just means the first part of the verse, right? 21A, all of them, Father, may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Then 23A, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. All of them may be one. That's his prayer. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus prays that we will be united. We'll be one. And not just, not just NBC, but all Christians everywhere. And now unity, I'm sure you already know this, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we act the same, dress the same, look the same. We're still unique individuals created in God's image, but we are united. We are people who come together and form one body, one person. The word here for one is the same word that's used for when a man and a woman get married and become one flesh, right? It's a pretty intimate word showing that we are completely united as a body of Christ, as a body of believers. But the oneness is based on something beyond itself. It's not just for the sake of it. It's not like we're gathered around something and we're just like, oh, we better, we better be nice. Uh, it's based on something deep. Uh, look again at Jesus' words. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus wants our unity as Christians to be based on the unity of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, one God in three persons, it's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. But, but, but Jesus says, as, the, as Jesus and the Father are one, we should also be one. Complete unity. The oneness of Jesus and the Father, it's repeated all throughout John, right? You've probably heard it many times in the sermon series. I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. I and the Father are one. Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now he's saying, just as they are one, you, church, NBC, are to be the same. It's a pretty lofty ideal to attain to, isn't it? But, but we're reminded that we're not on our own. We're actually empowered by a force bigger than us to see that happen. And it's God. He prays this. May they also be in us. They, that's you, church. May they also be in us, Jesus prays to his Father. 
And so catch this, as Christians, we're invited into the eternal, perfectly united love of the Godhead. This love that's been there since eternity past and will be there into eternity future, we are invited into it to be in the Father and in the Son. So the church is one because the Father and the Son are one. And now this is where I'm going to start drawing for you, right? Um, I hope you're you're pumped. Uh, This green pen is going to represent, this represents the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Spirit. I'm just going to draw a big circle. I didn't join, unfortunately. But that's... that's, uh, (laughs) It's good at home. Um, uh, this is the Godhead, right? The Father, Son, the Spirit. And, and we, we're, we're the red ones, right? And we're individuals. Uh, uh, what else? Square. All right. And so here we are. We, we're in the Father and the Son. That's the Godhead, right? The eternal trinity. And we are in it. This is an impermeable barrier. We can't get out of it. It's not like we choose whether we're united or not. I'm your brother, right, in Christ. We're united. We are one in Christ because we can't, we can't get out unless, unless we step away from Jesus altogether. And so we are in Christ. We are together. And so the question isn't, do I want to be united, but how well am I going to be united? Because you are. We are united. We are one. We cannot escape. We are in Christ together. We'll come back to that in a sec. Because this picture of indwelling goes even further. Not only are we, these individual believers, together, one in Christ. Jesus is in the church. Jesus is in us. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, Jesus says. I in them, that means Jesus is in the church. Jesus is in the church, all of us, but also us individually. Now, from what we've learned over in John over the last few weeks, how is Jesus in us? Can someone tell me? Thank you, Daniel, the Holy Spirit. You were here this morning. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I think he also gave that answer this morning, so that's all right. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit. So the, Jesus is in us, indwells us through the Holy Spirit. And so not only are we in him, he is in us. So each individual, he is in us. This eternal Godhead now, because Jesus has come in and cleansed us and the Holy Spirit can dwell within us, we are in him, but he is in us. He is dwelling in us. But not just each individual, because we're not all, there's not many Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit that dwells in me is the same that dwells in you. So not only are we connected to, to, to God in this way, but we are connected to one another. And so this is how it looks. I've got to make sure I get everyone involved. This morning I left some people. Um, (laughs) Is that right? Got everyone there? That'll do. You get the point anyway. But have a look at that. Look at the messiness of that. Uh, If if you were to open your bag at the end of the day on the bus, pull out your headphones to listen to some music, and this is what they look like, are you going to be untangling them? You're not, right? Uh, They're interlocked and intertwined, and that's the picture we get uh, when we have a look at us in God and God in us. We're intertwined. We're interlocked. That, that it doesn't matter how much work you do, there's no, there's no detangling uh, this messy web of connections. But what's, what's interesting, though, is when we look at each other, this is what we look at, isn't it? We look at the other. There's another individual. I'm a circle. That's a square. But really what we should be looking at is, is this. We are one. 
And it's that divine, uh, it's, it's, it's the divine dwelling in us that makes us one. And what we're learning here is that we can be united by understanding that, by understanding that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And even though it's hard to get our heads around what that looks like, and that picture doesn't really make much sense, if it teaches us anything, it is that we are, we are interlocked in that sort of way. He tells us that the result of this mutual indwelling is, verse 23, that they, the church, may be, be built, brought to complete unity. Complete unity. An author called F.F. F. Bruce sums it up by this. He's saying, if the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in us, then the Father is in us. We are drawn into the very life of God, and the life of God is perfect love. We've been drawn into this eternal uh, relationship of the Trinity it's divine unity, and not only is it based on the Godhead, but it is actually enabled and equipped by the Godhead because we've been drawn into their eternal love. So that's what he prays. He prays for complete unity, just as the Father and the Son are one, so should we. But why does he pray it? Verse 21b, well, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And 23b says this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the church, even as you have loved me. Jesus has a, as an evangelistic strategy behind this unity. It's not unity for unity's sake. The purpose is uh, that the world may see and the world may know. 21, again, the world may believe that you sent me. When people look at the church and see us united, they may, it's not a promise, but they may come to believe that the Father has sent the Son. And what this means, it means to believe what Jesus says about himself. And so when unbelievers see our unity, they see a countercultural, unusual life that's in keeping with Jesus' teaching. They'll see supernatural change in us, uh, which may lead them to think that Jesus is who he says he is. He must be, because look at this ragtag group of weirdos gathering here at Narrabeen with probably nothing really to hold them together other than the unity of the Spirit. It's supernatural. It's divine, the ability to forgive, the ability to bear with one another, the ability to live together uh, in harmony is supernatural and it points to the reality of God. But not only does it show who God is, uh, it will cause people, says in verse 23, uh, to see that God's love is available to them. It shows the world that there is a God and his love is available. 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The love the Father has for the Son is the love he now has for us. And it's a powerful witness to the world when they see our unity that, well, if there is a God, I can be loved by him. I can be brought into relationship with him, uh, with others who are like-minded. Our oneness can be a powerful evangelistic tool. Why? Well, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, pretty much, if these... These prove the existence of God, right? They, they prove the enormity of God's love. If Jesus rose from the dead, it's a good indication that God is real and that God loves us. And so when we as the church fulfill Jesus' prayer of unity, we give people a glimpse of the perfect love that's available to them. Take Jackie's mom and my parents, for example, right? Beautiful people, but not Christians. Many of you would have met them. Historically, they're not even really interested, right? Uh, Jackie and I have been Christians for a long time, and so they've heard it all, don't really care. Um, but they come down here and visit occasionally for different special occasions, and here's what they know. When my daughters were born, people from this church brought us meals, right? They visited us in hospital and at home and cared for us. 
When I was hit by a car and rendered useless for several weeks, uh, people came and did the same. They looked after my kids. They cooked us meals again. Uh, they drove, drove us around when we needed it. Uh, my, my family see the beautiful people from this church babysitting for us so that Jackie and I can go in on a date and strengthen our marriage because our family live a few hours away and they can't do it themselves. Uh, they were here for my commissioning as pastor and they saw all you stand and affirm your love for me and my family. And they were here at the girls' dedication when the church stood as one and said, Kieran and Jackie, Imogen and Ash, we're going to walk with you through this journey. We're your brothers and sisters. We're your surrogate, or more than surrogate. We're your parents. We're your uncles and aunties. We are one in Christ. We're going to walk together this journey with you. And I remember that time. I looked over at my old man. It's not unusual to see him crying. Um, but, but he was a man who has like no interest in God whatsoever, seeing this beautiful picture of unity. And I'll tell you what, there's not many spiritual conversations with either of our parents. But when they are, uh, they're often about the community that we have around us. How glad they are for us that we have found people like you who love us and who treat us like family in their absence. And it's because they've seen a supernatural love, a unity that points, that points to a God who sent his son to forgive us, a God who, who transforms us through his Holy Spirit to bring us into that unity and to equip us and enable us to live in peace with one another because we've tasted that eternal love of the Trinity. Church at its best does this. So if you're not a Christian or you're questioning, I want you to know that, that this unity is, is available. I pray that you glimpse it regularly here uh, and I pray that you'll continue to do so as we understand it as the people of God at Narrabane. Consider that. Consider the love of God and the love of the community that is offered to you. And Christians, just think of the impact that your unity can have. In a world that is naturally divisive, uh, a world that often prides itself on division. Uh, we, can, we can be an example for others uh, that, that there is a unity available. So he prays it will be one as he and the Father are one. He says it's because it will be a good witness to the world. People may come to know God through it, but then he says, well, he answers this question, how will it happen? There's a lofty ideal to attain to, right? Uh, how are we, me mortals, able to get along with each other? How are we able to bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another, all those other one another, greet each other with a holy kiss, right? That's a tough one. Uh, how are we to do all of those things on our own? Have a look at verse 22. How will it happen? Verse 22, I have given them, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have given them, the church, the glory that you gave me. This unity and oneness can only happen because we have Christ's glory. We, the church, this is big, we, the church, have Christ's glory. But what does that mean? Uh, earlier we asked you to reflect at the beginning of the service. What would it look like for God's glory to be displayed here at NBC? Uh, we don't have time to hear all of your answers, right? But, but but I want you to think back to what you were thinking earlier. What would it look like for God's glory to be displayed here at NBC? And there's lots of right answers. Because God displays his glory in many ways throughout the Bible uh, and today. But in John, uh, there's a very special way that John puts across and Jesus puts across in this gospel, uh, this, this definition of glory. 
Uh, and here's how I reckon God's glory can be most beautifully displayed in NBC. But first, let's have a look. I want to go back through the few times where Jesus or John mentioned glory in the Gospel of John. Have a look at John 7, verse 39. You can flick if you want to make sure I'm not making it up. Uh, John 7, verse 39. John says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And then chapter 12, verse 16. At this, oh, sorry, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And then through to verse 23, same chapter. Jesus says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Anyone want to have a guess what Jesus is referring to each time here? What's he talking about when he talks about his glory and being glorified? Anyone brave enough? Danny boy? Yeah, his death and resurrection, yeah, right? Um, His death and resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross and his uh, consequent resurrection, right? And so... The question is, when are we, the church, NBC here, when are we displaying the glory of Christ? Well, it's not when we're enjoying the favour of the world. It's not when we're building bigger buildings. It's not when we're glamorous and beautiful. It's not when our budgets are in surplus. But it's when we're following the self-sacrificial road that Jesus followed to the cross. Here's what author Leon Morris says, just as he is, Jesus' true glory was to follow the path of lowly service culminating in the cross. So for them, true glory lay in the path of lowly service, wherever it may lead us. True glory comes from the path of noble, lowly service. What would it look like for God's glory to be displayed here at NBC? Well, it will be displayed when you sacrifice yourself in the service of others. This is what leads to oneness and the, uh, the unity that Jesus calls for. As Travis said last week, it means we won't be consumers. We'll be here to serve and to pray and to give and to care. Uh, we'll be servants of one another. God's glory is displayed in us when we give up our comfort to talk to a new person that we've never met before, to spend time with a difficult person. We give up our money and time and energy for people who, who need it. We cook meals for people who've been hit by cars or when we stand together and pray for people who have just had children or when we mentor someone who's going through a difficult time or when we make an effort to, to track down someone who may need your help, even though you probably could do an extra couple of hours of sleep. You, church, are glorious only when you are emptied of all your earthly glory and take on the servant heart of Jesus. So what did Jesus pray? Well, he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Why is it necessary? Well, so that the world may see and know his love. And how can we do it? Well, we do it by showing his glory through our sacrificial service of one another. But all this really just points to something bigger, right? All this points towards a greater glory. Grab your Bible, have a look at verses 24 to 26. All this glory Jesus has been talking about, it sort of culminates here from verse 24. Jesus prays, Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. All the unity, love, presence, indwelling that we see in verses 20 to 23, it's only a glimpse. It's only a foretaste of what's to come. These verses here, Jesus is praying for the fulfillment of that. And he's promising, actually, that he's going to be working in us to bring it to fruition. First, he tells the Father that he wants us to be with him and see his glory. This is Jesus 2,000 years ago praying for you, saying, I want them. He's, He's speaking ahead of time, right? picturing himself in heaven, like in glory with the Father, uh, and saying, I want these followers, these guys here, I want them to be here with me forever. Think about that. It's got you, this church in mind, and saying, I want them to be here in my glory with me forever. I don't think anyone wants to hang out with me forever. Not, Not even my wife sometimes. But Jesus here, before he even knew, well, he knew you before... You were a twinkle in your father's eyes, Travis said a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, he, he prayed this prayer. I want them to be with me forever to see his glory. Uh, we have seen his glory already, right? But this part of the prayer is actually looking forward to where we will see his glory fully revealed. Not as the lamb that was slain, but as the lion, the conquering king, the one ruling over the new heavens and the new earth, worshipped and adored by all creation. And he wants us, you, to be there with him. The glory we glimpse now through his love and through unity is only a glimpse of what is to come. But not only does Jesus pray that we'll be there with him, he actually, he actually says something here that oh, takes a weight off my shoulders, right? It's a relief because it's actually him that makes it possible. Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. It's a good note to end. It's where Jesus ended his prayer. It's where he, I'm going to end this sermon. Uh, And it's also where we're going to end our series on that note. Verse 26 is really a recap of what Jesus has been doing and what he's been saying over the last couple of chapters in his final night. He has made God known to us. He has. And he will continue to do so through his spirit. So, yeah, it's our, unity is our responsibility Knowing God is our goal, but it's not, after us to, it's not up to us to make that happen. Jesus is the one who reveals it. Jesus is the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who revealed God's glory and God's love through his, through his death and resurrection. He's the one who continues to reveal it to us now through the spirit that indwells us. It's Jesus who works it all out for us by graciously revealing us to God, God to us and continuing to do so until that day when we are brought into complete unity in the revelation of his complete and beautiful glory. Bring that day on, hey? I'm going to pray, and then Leon is going to give the application for this sermon, I suppose. He's going to show us how we can actually live this out in the flesh through some, um, yeah, through some pretty important uh, structures in the life of the church. Let's pray. Lord God, when we, um, when we think of the unity of the Trinity, uh, yeah, our mind stretches to, to understand. Uh, but we are so gracious that, that this the beautiful relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, eternal, the eternal unity and love, is something that now dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And it's something that we now indwell because of the work of Jesus. We pray that we will grasp what it means for you to be in us 
and what it means for us to be in you, that we will see how intertwined and interlinked we are, that we are a body of believers who are one and help us to live out that oneness and unity in a way that shows the world who you are and the depth of your love uh, for those that Jesus has brought to you. Uh, We pray that we will be a light on the hill. We'll be uh, shining to the nations around us as we show our unity in our sacrificial service for one another, as we show the world your glory. We pray it in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.